morning, everybody. How many of you already had an Easter egg, Easter egg hunt in your home sometime this morning? Will you raise your hands high? Right, good, all right. When my uh, kids were little, and it was in my very first church, you know, you're a pastor, you're trying to set an example. We had our, our little son, I don't think he was even three yet, and uh, my little daughter, and we had an Easter egg hunt uh, that morning at church. And it was before the service started, and the kids were running around, and they got their buckets full of eggs. And my son had this massive bucket just filled with eggs. And his little sister had like two or three in them. That's it. And other kids were kind of walking around with like one or two. He was like the egg hog. And I, we looked at him, you know, and we said, Ben, I said, you need to share your eggs. And I'll never forget, he just went, I don't want to share any eggs. And uh, I thought to myself, this is not a very good example for the rest of the flock. I'm a greedy little boy here. So I hope you had a better experience uh, this morning and shared a lot. I mean, you've had brunch already? Let me see your hands. How did it taste? I'm starving. I've had cookies and acai berries all morning long. So I'm looking forward to that. We've had a great weekend here. I want you to know that. Last night, we just had the place was crowded. And this morning, we had... Uh, in two of our services, we had to have people in the overflow, and it's just been a great morning. And the volunteers here and the staff here have been fantastic. I know several of you have been serving all morning, and now you're coming to the worship experience, and I appreciate that. Thank you for what you've done. And uh, I want to thank all of you for being here. This is more of an intimate crowd, and uh, I'm looking forward to spending our time together, okay? So I want you to forget about the empty space around you, and let's just focus on being here with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our hearts online as well as we just kind of not really close out Easter weekend, but we want to, Lord, end it well, our services. And we, we want you to be here in our midst, Lord, as we'll discover you were when you rose from the dead. We're looking forward to what you're going to say to us. It's going to be a special time. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to tell you about Michael O'Neill. Michael O'Neill lived in a place called, or lives in a place called Middlesbrough, England. And one day, he decided to just take a trip and to go to Australia. Anybody ever been to Australia? Okay. And uh, he went, but did not tell anybody he was going. Didn't tell his friends, didn't tell his neighbors. So after a couple weeks of not seeing Michael around, the neighbors and friends got kind of concerned and they started checking on him, but couldn't get a hold of anybody. So they called the local police. And the police showed up, and they knocked on the door to his flat where he lived, and no answer. They kind of, you know, searched the premises, no sign. So they smashed down his door, a good reason why you ought to let somebody know you're not going to be around when you're gone for a long time. They searched the house and found absolutely no evidence of Michael O'Neill. So people started to worry. And you know, in a situation like that, you begin to think maybe something really bad has happened. What makes the story weirder is that there was another gentleman about the same age living in Middlesbrough, England, whose name was Michael O'Neill. And he died. And when his obituary was put in the paper, it mentioned 
two of his brothers, a Kevin and a Terry. Well, the Michael O'Neill, who's in Australia, happened to have two brothers with the same names. Not making this up. Kevin and Terry. So as people are reading this, they're sitting there going, oh my goodness, it's him. He died. How could this have happened? They were absolutely confused until a postcard arrived from Down Under, a different Down Under. Michael O'Neill was like, hey guys, had a great time in Australia, I'm on my way back. And on August 8th when he showed up, he left June 2nd, on August 8th when he showed up, he wasn't prepared for the kind of response he got from his friends and his neighbors. He told the Daily Telegraph, everywhere I am going, people I know are grabbing hold of my hand saying, I thought you were dead. They, eat, they can't believe it's me, that I'm still alive. I'm a nervous wreck because everywhere I go, people keep grabbing me. When everybody watched Jesus crucified on that Friday, especially his friends and his disciples, they couldn't believe what was happening to him. This wasn't supposed to happen to him. It's the Son of God. The Son of God is not supposed to die. Even though Jesus had told them repeatedly, I'm going to die and rise on the third day. I'm doing this for you. They just could not accept it. Couldn't believe it. And they watched his body taken off the cross, laid in an empty, borrowed tomb, and the stone rolled across. They were so confused, but there was a postcard. Three days later, an angel was there at the empty tomb. stone had been rolled away, and the women showed up, he said to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Didn't he say to you, I was going to die, I would rise on the third day, now go and tell his friends. So here are the disciples, and they're all huddled in this room, trying to sort out the evidence, when suddenly, Jesus just appears in their presence. Imagine, right now, as we're here in this room, all of a sudden, right in the middle, Online, right in your room, Jesus just shows up. <laughs> what would your response be? Let's look at their response in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. It says, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. Is I myself, touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have received or been clothed with the power from on high. And of course, Jesus was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is there in the middle of the room, and he says to them, look, guys, it's me. Look at my hands, look at my feet. See the scars? Look at my side. 
Watch this, I'll eat a piece of fish to prove to you I'm not a ghost. It was so hard for them to believe. It's hard for a lot of people to believe today that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know what you believe. Maybe you're convinced, maybe you doubt, maybe you're not sure. You know, a lot of people have in their mindset that, you know, the reason people believed in Jesus back then is because they were primitive in their thinking. And they believed in miracles. And I mean, if you believe in something strong enough, you can almost convince yourself that it's real. And so people say, maybe it was a hallucination that they had. By the way, I was at Starbucks earlier this morning, and I think I saw Elvis Presley, but I'm not sure. Anyway, um, pretty soon I won't be able to say that anymore because nobody will know who Elvis is. But, you know, that's kind of the mindset. We're, we're technologically advanced. We have a scientific mindset. So we know better. They're just ignorant people. They believe the miracles, so they just look for it. That actually helps prove the fact that Christ rose. So what do you mean by that? Well, if they did believe in miracles, and they did, then a miracle was standing right in front of them, and the response you expect them to give is, there you are. We knew you were coming. We've been waiting here like you told us to. It's three days. We thought you may be even a little earlier, but that's okay. We're glad you're here. We don't hear anything like that. Even with Jesus standing in their midst, the response is still, wow, amazed, but I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. A lot of people today are willing to historically accept that Jesus lived because most scholars agree, historically speaking, from internal and external evidence, Jesus did live. But what they struggle with is to believe he's the resurrected Christ, that he really rose from the dead. Because the implications of that are huge, aren't they? I mean, if Christ rose from the dead and you believe that, it should radically change your life. Unless you just honestly don't care that he rose from the dead. So Jesus rose from the dead, he presented the evidence, he challenged their doubts, and he said, do you believe? And the question for me and for you this Easter weekend is, do you believe that he rose from the dead? Do you believe he is the Son of God? Now, when Jesus confronts their doubts, he also invites them into a very personal relationship with himself. When he takes that piece of fish and he eats it, it's not just to say, look, a ghost can't eat food. In the Middle East, when you ask somebody for food or when you have a meal with somebody and invite them over to your house, it is very intimate, it is very personal, it is an expression of friendship. So I have traveled to the Middle East uh, quite a bit over my life, and one of my favorite places to go is Israel and to Jericho. And I have, over the years, met a peddler there many years ago. He's a Palestinian peddler. And several years ago, before I came uh, to, to Wooddale, uh, I met him and found out he needed shoes. He wears size 18 shoes. It was very hard, impossible for him to get shoes over there for lots of reasons. So I started bringing him shoes. And uh, we've kind of created this relationship. I bring him shoes. He always gives me a lot of fruit uh, in return. Uh, I try not to take it, but, you know, he's not going to take anything for free. So we do this exchange. Well, this last time I was there, in typical Middle Eastern fashion, we do this. I kiss him on one side, you know, then on the other. And then he said, I want you to come home and have dinner with my family. And my heart just melted at that moment. Because what he said, what he was saying to me is, you're family now, you're a friend. And I, I, want you to, I want you to share with me 
in my family. I want you to share with me in this meal. It was very precious to me. And unfortunately, because of schedules, I couldn't do it, but, but there's just a unique relationship there with this guy. So when Jesus says, you know, give me this fish, in essence, what he's saying is, I want to be close to you guys. I want fellowship with you. And Jesus wants the same thing with you and me. He wants this very personal relationship with us. You know, in a lot of religions, the leader dies and she or he leaves behind their teachings and then people who follow, follow the teachings. They become adherents, admirers of the leader who's dead and adherents to the teaching. Jesus leaves us the gospel. He leaves us his words. He wants us to obey his words. But unlike any other religious leader, he says, I also want an ongoing personal intimate relationship with you. And when a person surrenders their life to him when we open ourselves to him his holy spirit the word of god tells us comes to dwell in us it's very supernatural we are more than physical beings i've been doing a lot of study lately on on the the human mind and you know some people believe that the mind is a product of the brain but there's growing evidence growing evidence even amongst people who are not christians that the mind is a separate entity from the brain they, they cannot define consciousness. You can't locate it on a CT scan. And so Christ wants to come and be a part of that consciousness of our life, that soul that God breathed into our first parents that's been passed on to all of us. Do you know that kind of intimacy and that kind of relationship with him? And then Jesus did something wonderful. He released his followers from being enslaved to the material world being obligated to the material world. Because he says to them, I'm going to send you on a mission. When the Holy Spirit comes, I want you to go, and I want you to help me change the world. I want you to start a movement, a revolution, based on what has happened to me. And what happened to him? He rose from the dead. And the resurrection is more than the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is a picture of you and me. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that someday we will have a new resurrected body that someday the whole universe is going to get this tremendous makeover from God because when mankind sinned, it broke, it fractured the universe, it fractured our earth. And all of it's going to be made new again. You got to keep that in mind because we live in a material world, especially here in America. And the result of that is what? In the material world, what do you want to do? You want to evaluate yourself, you want to evaluate your worth based on materialism. So it's all about my success, it's all about how much money I have, what, how am I living, what car I drive, where I vacation, what I accomplish. And that's a treadmill. We, we pursue that with our, with our heart's passion because we believe that's what living is all about. And when you live that way, you don't really have time for other people because it's all about me and my family getting ahead. But the problem is, in that kind of culture, in that kind of society that we live in, what happens when you have setbacks physically, financially, with your career, and all kinds of other things. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I, I can't move forward because these kinds of things happen. Then we're disappointed. Then we're discouraged. Then we're down on ourselves. Then we feel like, you know, we're never going to accomplish our dreams. Well, the promise that Jesus gives us is no matter what happens in this life, there's coming a day when you're going to live a life beyond anything you can imagine if you're one of his followers. You'll go to Mount Everest. You'll travel wherever in the galaxy. You'll do things you never thought you could do. It'll be beyond your wildest hope and wildest dreams. 
Martin Luther was once asked, the reformer, if you knew that Christ was coming tomorrow, what would you do? That'd be kind of a fun conversation to have with the people around you, wouldn't it? If you knew Christ was coming tomorrow, what would you do? You know what Martin Luther's answer was? I'd plant a tree. That seems weird, doesn't it? I mean, is that what you would do if you knew Christ was coming tomorrow? What was his point? His point is, I'm going to plant that tree because when Christ returns, man, that tree's going to be part of his new creation. It's going to be a big tree, a tall tree. It's going to be a fruitful tree. It's going to be amazing. Because he understood that the resurrection means more than just the resurrection of the body. He understood that it meant a new earth and in a whole new universe. A renewal that's going to take place. Now, if I know that's going to happen, if I'm freed from the world, it permits me and allows me to go and make a difference in the world. So instead of chasing the dollar, instead of chasing success as the world defines it, what I do is I help begin this renewal by spreading the faith. Because renewal starts spiritually. I try to end hunger. I try to end injustice. I seek to care for the refugee. I care about racial reconciliation. I care about the environment because I know I'm a point person. We are a point people as a church to lead what will someday be fulfilled. And that's not, that's not I didn't make that up. That's, that's right from the scriptures. It's the promise. It's the promise that God gives us. Incidentally, in July, I'm going to do a, a series of messages on what happens after you die. What's heaven like? What's it going to be like someday? We don't talk enough about that. We just kind of get claustrophobic, stuck in this world, and there's so much more beyond this world. And then Jesus does one more thing in the resurrection. He offers to his followers healing. I'm not talking about physical healing. I'm talking about spiritual healing. By his stripes, the Bible says, by his wounds, we are healed. In other words, Christ suffered so we could be healed. And the most important healing you'll ever receive is spiritual healing. So in this passage of Scripture, twice, Jesus says, look at my hands and look at my feet. In verse 39, he says, look at my hands and my feet. In verse 41, it's, in verse 40, it says that he showed them his hands and his feet. Why does he show them the hands and the feet? When they see his hands and they see his feet, what do they see? They see scars. They see scars. Why does Jesus show them those scars? I mean, Jesus is in his resurrected body. I would think he wouldn't want to have scars. Now, if you believe that someday you're going to have a resurrected body, according to the scriptures, I'm sure there are some things that you're glad you won't have anymore. Maybe scars you have, or deformities you have, or, you know, whatever you have that you're just hoping, oh, man, I'm looking forward to not seeing that anymore. Why does Christ keep the scars? And, and what did the disciples see when they looked at those scars? Imagine somebody like Peter. I can imagine Peter looking at those scars, and if I were Peter, that would be hard for me to do. Because I know I denied Jesus. I told Jesus that if it came down to him having to die, I'd die right alongside of him. And when the opportunity came for Peter to speak up and identify himself with Christ, he denied him three times. So when if I'm Peter, I'm looking at those scars, I, I'm looking at my shame, I'm looking at my guilt, I'm looking at my failure, and not just me, but all of the disciples. Those scars would be a reminder of just what went wrong in their lives. What do you see when you see those scars? When Jesus showed those scars, he wasn't saying, look what you guys did to me. Shame on you. No, 
He said, look at these scars because this is evidence that I love you. You know, on the cross on Good Friday, there's three hours of darkness from noon until three. There was an eclipse. And darkness settled over it. And when Jesus gave up his last breath, the darkness went away. And there's a beautiful picture in that. It's the picture of him absorbing all the darkness of our guilt and our shame and our condemnation on himself and saying, I'm going to take it for you because I love you. But why does he keep the scars? So I was reading about this lady. It's an interview in England. And she had open heart surgery to save her life. And it was just interesting listening to her describe it. She said, they tore me in two. (laughs) And they put me back together again and saved my life. But they left this huge, and it is, a huge scar. She, you know, just really has to wear stuff up to here to keep it covered up. She says, they left this huge scar on my chest when they split me open. And it's thick and it's, it's ugly. She goes, when I see that scar, I think to myself, the scar reminds me that my life was saved, but it, it's, also, it's also so ugly. And, and here's what went through her mind, she said. I thought to myself, what's going to happen if, when I meet the love of my life, he sees that scar and is repulsed by it? Maybe if you put yourself in her place, you can understand how she feels. What if he sees a scar and just goes, yuck, cover that thing up? Well, she met the love of her life. And she asked him, does the scar repulse you? And here's what he said to her. You ladies really listen to this. He said, I love that scar. Because if it wasn't for that scar, I wouldn't have you. Now, ladies, does that speak to your heart? Would you like to hear a man say something like that to you? I love that scar. You find it ugly, I find it beautiful, because if you didn't have that scar, I wouldn't have you. Jesus keeps his scars. Do you know why? So he can look at his scars and look at us and say, you know what, I love these scars, because if I didn't have these scars, I wouldn't have you. Now, if you believe that, and I do, as powerful and as beautiful, isn't it? If I didn't have these scars, I wouldn't have you. And I just love you so much that it's worth the scars. That's what this morning's all about. It's not, or this afternoon, it's not about, you know, Easter eggs and the Easter bunny. It's not about how pretty and handsome you look. It's not about the meals you've had or are going to have. It's not about a day off. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not about great music. It's not about a message that keeps us engaged. It's about the living Christ who says to us, who says to us, I want you. And here's proof how much I love you. Do you know him that way? Do you know him that intimately? Do you know him that personally? Does he mean all that to you? That's what Easter's all about. And none of us can earn God's love. I mean, all of us default to trying to earn love because that's what happens when you're in a material world. None of us can. 
You know, oftentimes I'll talk to people and say, well, I, I really want God in my life, but I got to go clean up my act. And I always say to them, you'll never get your act so clean that God says, okay, you're good enough now. What God does is he comes in and helps us clean up our act, which is so much better. So I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. In this intimate setting, we're just going to take some time to be reflective. And I just want you to be kind of still and focus on the Lord. And I want to ask you just such a simple question. Do you know Jesus in a really personal way? Have you come to that place in your life that you just truly know his presence? So I'm not sure. I know about God, but I don't know if I really know God the way you're describing it. Do you want to know him that way? I mean, why? If you believe he rose from the dead, why not? And what I'd like to do is I'd like to help you today get rid of any doubts and know that you know that you're known by him and invite him to just take over as CEO of your life. So I'm going to lead you in a really simple prayer, but before I do that, I want you to listen carefully. I don't want you to pray this prayer as like an insurance policy, like, well, I might as well cover that base too. God doesn't want to be like a part of many parts of your life. Christ really wants to come in and, and here's the deal, he wants to take over your life and I think that's why a lot of people dismiss him as resurrected because if I can just tell myself that didn't happen, then I don't have to worry about the whole takeover thing. But Christ gave his whole life so he could have your whole life. And you'll never be more satisfied. You'll never have greater peace than when you let him in your life to control your life. And if you're at that place, then I want you to pray this prayer silently to the Lord where you are. Just simply say to him, Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I humble myself before you today. I do admit I am a sinful human being. I also admit I cannot earn my way into your presence. And I'm kind of thankful for that. I just ask you to forgive me, God, for my sinful life. And I invite your spirit to come into mine. God, I imagine this little throne in the middle of my life. I'm getting off of it right now. And I'm handing it over to you. God, I, help me to trust you a day at a time. I've tried everything else. Now I want to hand my life over to you. Father, I just ask that you would speak to all of our hearts. And I just pray, Father, for all of us that we would surrender our hearts to you. And for those of us who know you, God, I pray this Easter, we just rededicate ourselves to you. Maybe we've been on the fringe. Maybe, maybe we've just not been very focused. We've kind of gotten caught back up in trying to make it in this life our own way or the world's way. God, this Easter, we want to just come home to you and center ourselves in you. In Jesus' name, amen.